0: I um, don't like this reading. Don't like reading it. Don't like thinking about it. Don't want to preach about it. So, early minute. We're stuck with it, aren't we? We can ignore it, but it's right there in front of us. It's just there. We have to do something with it. The idea of Peter being called Satan, the idea of disciples told to deny themselves and take up their cross... God being ashamed of us. It's not the way I want to spend Sunday morning. Like most of us, I've spent most of my life energy avoiding suffering. That seems to me really important in life. And we do it in lots of good ways. We ride a bicycle so that we don't have to walk, then we get a car so we don't have to ride a bicycle. And suffer that and then we get air conditioning so we don't have to suffer the heat when we're driving the car. We have put huge amounts of energy into avoiding suffering and why wouldn't we? Of course we do it in lots of not so good ways too. We avoid situations where we might be embarrassed or where we might be threatened or, or our lack of knowledge about something might become obvious. So we retreat into ourselves and we lose out so it's not all good M. Scott Peck wrote a book called The Road Less Travelled and it stayed on the New York Times bestseller list it might even still be there for 30 years it's one of the most influential books in the late 20th century and this is how it begins life is difficult this is a great truth one of the greatest truths It is a great truth because once you truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. I read this book, and I read it again some years later. I read it 30 years ago. And every now and then I read this first bit. And that's as far as I get. And that's, so I, I, read, I put it up there because you can't just read it once. If it's, if it's true. What you'll recognise if you're interested at all in Buddhism is that this is a reworking of the first of the four noble truths. Which is sometimes translated into English with a great deal of uncertainty. Life is suffering the kind of shorthand version. There's lots of different ways of translating it and not all Buddhists will tell you, like not all Christians will tell you the same thing about uh, their their texts. But certainly it's about that suffering is just present in life and suffering and impermanence and change, the, the, the word could be interpreted in different ways. But Peck is basically trying to interpret that. Once we accept a, and acknowledge that Suffering is what we experience much of the time, much of it self-inflicted, some of it in the environment around us, some of it in the failing of our bodies as we age or as we get ill. He says we can live with it. Uh, Not so sure. Yeah, of course, I, I, I understand that because that's how I want to live intellectually until the next time suffering gets me, especially when I wasn't expecting it, when I thought everything was fine and then wham. So I have to crawl back to a text like this and wonder whether his encapsulation of what the Buddhists are saying and what I think Jesus might be saying in this text can actually be true. Look, there are no crosses. We don't live in a first century culture. The cross was a a cruel form of social and political control. And we don't need to water it down by saying, well, you know, you your circumstances are your cross to bear, which you often hear in culture. We need to find a, a meaning that makes sense. And a meaning that 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 kind of has resonance, and not just got to, Oh well, that's what the Bible says, but it's let's skip on because next week the reading's got to be better, right? Huh. Actually, no, it's terrible next week, but for a, for a different reason. So you know, you can read ahead if you want to find the lectionary. If any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What if, in keeping with what Peck has said there, and I'm going to leave it up there because you could just especially if you lose touch with what I'm saying. You can read that again. What if denying ourselves is denying that within us which wants to pretend we should not have to suffer? What if denying ourselves is denying that which is within us that pretends we shouldn't have to suffer or gets irate when we do or confused as if it was an anomaly that life is supposed to be plain sailing and that's our culture that's the way we talk about it a lot and then suffering is an anomaly, what if it was the other way around and what if denying that is what makes us uh, less than human and if we accept it if we deal with it Eckhart Tolle in, in his famous book The Power of Now said that the the ego in, uh, in us, the kind of driving force within us, says, I shouldn't have to suffer. And he says, that thought, which is again drawing from Buddhism and I think from Christianity, that thought makes us suffer even more. I shouldn't have to suffer. I am suffering. What's wrong? It's your fault. It's my fault. It's my mother's fault. It's Scott Morrison's fault. It's some of which may be true. If you've seen the paltry results of the Liberal Party's decision on the job seeker, a lot of suffering is his fault and their fault. And yeah, maybe your mother is to blame for some of it too. But it is denying that falsehood about life. So to deny yourself and to take up the truth of the reality of life that it's suffering, maybe that's a way we can take some meaning from this. <coughs> We long to avoid suffering, and we try. We want to remain in control. If things have to change, we want to be the one that manages it. At our time, in our way. Doesn't happen that way, maybe sometimes. But often, it comes out of a clear blue sky. Maybe denying ourselves is denying that what, that which we want to pretend is true, that we don't have to suffer, It's not true. The truth is, that's life, suffering. Because those who want to save their life will lose it. In trying to maintain control, we actually lose our life. Some things you are in control of, many things we're not in control of. If you live or work with someone else, and you try to control the environment so that it fits you more than it fits anyone else, you will lose that relationship. It's true we, we just know this to be true. My ex mother in law, who now has passed, so um, I can say this little bit. She used to when we would visit, if I read the newspaper back in the days when there were such things, do they still print news? Yeah, they do. I've seen the advertiser. I just Don't read it that way, it never occurs to me. But anyway, if you read the newspaper and you got up and went to get a cup of coffee, when you got back, the newspaper would be neatly folded where it had originally been. She didn't do so well with her relationships. Those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who want to control, those who want to deny that suffering is real, those who want to, you just lose it will lose the energy of it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. There's a better translation of for the sake, for my sake, is but whoever loses their life because of me and because of the gospel, which I think might speak specifically to Jesus' first followers who, by being followers of Jesus, were being ostracised, as far as we can tell, from the community around them and from their fellow Jews whom... They wanted to maintain fellowship. Maybe we can take it as whoever sees their life as being about more than themselves. That life only really works when it's interconnected with other people. You can't live a solo life. We know that. Even if you live alone you don't live a solo life. There's a whole series of interconnections, some of which are obvious to you, some of which aren't until they don't work, like if the power goes off. That's been managed by a whole series of us. We've asked people to do that. We've them to do it. we pay them to set this structure up so that we can all live interconnected. But much of us have to have interconnection at an individual level with people that we love or that we like or that people that recognise us. Even if the only experience we have is to go down the street, buy some fruit and vegetable and have an interaction with that person there, if that's the only experience, it's interconnection. Perhaps Jesus could be taken for us as saying, those who recognise their life as being deeply interconnected And when you do, of course, one of the things that happens is you recognise that not only am I failing at all kinds of things, but so does everyone else. And I ought to cut them a bit of slack. The fact that most things work most of the time, and most people are nice to me most of the time, and most people don't cut me off off on the road most of the time, maybe that's something to be celebrated. Maybe that's something to be gloried in that we actually do some of the time, maybe even most of the time, make it work. And then Jesus says this thing about those who are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them. But how can we be ashamed of anyone? You're only ever ashamed of someone if you care about them. I might despise a certain politician for certain things they do, But I don't know them. They're not someone with whom I have an intimate relationship. I could be ashamed of my children. They certainly could be ashamed of me. But, so, how would you be... What would Jesus mean, that those who are ashamed of me? You can only be ashamed... If there's a certain expectation of behaviour and that person doesn't do it and Jesus does that all the time, the certain expectation of behaviour is that you will care about the people on the inside group more than anyone else and Jesus doesn't have an inside group and that drives us mad. There isn't any inside group unless it's everything. And so Jesus, our expectations of Jesus' life is that he will pay attention to the kind of cultural norms and we'll deal with this a bit next week um, about the ways that life is supposed to be but he doesn't he pays as much attention to the people who are supposed to be outside as inside and the whole of the gospels are full of that stuff he's always forgiving, always welcoming beyond our limits so maybe if we're ashamed of that, if we're ashamed of that way of being then maybe maybe God, whatever that could mean for us, could be ashamed of us. But of course shame isn't everything. It isn't breaking everything. I'm hoping that the things I do that my children might be ashamed of doesn't break our relationship. It's amazing what you can put up with, what you can forgive with someone you love. So maybe we're always welcomed. Maybe we're always drawn in. I like to think so, and otherwise this reading just has to be left, sort of in an embarrassed silence I don't want to do that, I want to try and manage it and I want to try and pay attention to Peck's first words in the, in his book, life is difficult Alright, I'm going to stop there because it's sort of a bit of a ragged ending, but That's life, isn't it? Thank you.